Does creativity come from a dark place? Find out on this week's Pod 20. Hi, I'm Graham Mack and welcome to the show. Hey, what's your number one fear? I'll be talking about what most people's number one fear is soon with the TV psychologist Paul Barros. And my special guest is Kevin Kautzman from The Art of Darkness, a podcast about the dark side of artists, creatives, intellectuals and people who made history and continue to move culture. Kevin, you're a writer. Is there a darkness in your past that drives your creativity? Well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to talk about it? You're comfortable talking no. about the darkness? Well, that's all right. I mean, you know, the 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 truth of it is, you know, my I lost my father when I was very young. Okay. So sorry to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's all right. Uh, you know, from a from an opioid overdose. Wow. Which is insane because nobody nobody now in the, you know, uh 2021 talks about this they like it's new somehow yeah uh, yeah and it's like no no this goes back to the 80s this was ugly and and disgusting and it's been, it's been going on for a long time so yeah i mean you know that, how old that's were you at the time four right so you've got a memory of it yeah right yeah. so yeah so, it's it's amazing though how you know if, you know I know probably a lot more about the Beatles story than 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 many other musical stories, you know. And uh, it's interesting that Lennon and McCartney both lost their mothers. You know, is that right? Yeah, Wait, yeah. You, when they were children, what? Paul, when I I think yeah. he was about fourteen, and John, when well, he lost. He had a shocking thing. He 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 lost he lost her, and then he was getting. He, when I say lost her, she. she um, she, she kind of moved on with a new, his father, you know, walked out on them and she, she moved on with yeah. another fella and, and had her own life. And he was just reconnecting with her at the age of, I think, 17, 16 or 17 when she died in a car crash. Yeah. Christ. So, yeah. yeah. So it well, does wait, wait, seem wait, to be wait, a theme that runs through creativity or creative people. Well, I mean, you know, why, why do you have all this, uh, this, this deep Beatles lore? I respect the hell. That's out of because that. I'm I'm from Liverpool, and it's kind of something you you kind of yeah. Um, for me, anyway, was something I gravitated towards, and I still think it is. What happened with them is one of the greatest stories. The story of how you know no four blokes from a provincial. Um, seaport in the northwest yeah. of England, not mm. from Memphis or, you know, which is where previously where Elvis had come from and everything, not with any of that background, actually changed the world and the, the rapid speed of it, you know. You know, Love Me Do was in 1962 and Abbey Road was in 1969, you know. Yeah, the speed you, 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 have to, you have to understand, like, in my, in my, one of the few memories that I have of my, of my mother and my father is my mother saying, you know, the day that John Lennon died, your father wept. Yeah. 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 So all the way across all these miles, we, yeah. we have that in common. Trust yeah. me. And, and I, you know, I yesterday. grew up in, I grew up in the area where, you know, where they're from and to say, and, and to think that, that they came from here, you know, it's like, it, yeah. but I, but everybody has that. I was, um, I was on a tour of stacks in Memphis. Yeah. And, yeah. um, 
I was on the tour and, and there was a group of kids, local kids from Memphis being taken round. It's not actually the same old cinema. It's in the same site as where Stax Records was, you know, Booker T and the MGs and Otis Redding and all that. And uh, the teacher who was bringing the kids round, she, she talked to me. She said, where are you from? I'm so, I said, I'm from England. And she said, oh, wow. She said, would you do me a favor? Would you just get up and say a few words to these kids to let them know that music from right here in Memphis has gone as far away as, as, as England. And I said, sure. And at the time I, um, I was, uh, I was presenting a breakfast show on a radio station. I forget which one. Oh, it was in Bournemouth. And I said to them, look, you know, I'm, I'm a morning DJ on the radio in England, but I've also been a morning DJ in Australia and I've worked on different radio stations all over Britain and every one of those radio stations, I've played records that were made right here. And the kids were blown yeah. away because it was their hometown. So I have yeah. that same kind of thing with, with the Beatles. So that's, I think, I think that's why I'm more interested in their story. Well, you should. I, there's there's <laughs> nothing greater than the, the story. I mean, it's like suddenly genius. How, yeah. How, where there's, I listen to the Beatles weekly. It's, yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah on vinyl. Yeah, I'm a you know a nerd. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you go, where is the moment where this changes to that? Yeah. How? How do we go from, you know, how do we get to revolver? Yeah. Is well from rubber, from rubber soul. Really, there's there's the seeds of yeah, revolver rubber in rubber soul. You know, and then the seeds of, course, of pepper of are in revolver, yeah. and then. I think the White Album was for me is my favorite, and I think that's that was a bigger jump yeah. from Pepper to Pepper yeah. and Magical Mystery Tour to um, White right. Album for me is is. Right. But anyway, we could uh, I, no, it's just the best. I mean, no, we could just dork out about this for like an hour. <laughs> it's just the greatest. You just go, how can this? How can this be? And then we go over here. Just and it and and it is the genius of just like the studio is an instrument. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're going to take that leap, yeah. you know, and be free of the audience, yeah. right? We're going to do a cinematic thing with rock and roll. But, but you know, to get back to the art of darkness, there is so much darkness in the story. I mean, in particularly Lennon's background. I mean, yeah. he lost his father because his father walked out. Then he lost right. his mother and he grew up with his auntie and his uncle George. And then his uncle George died. And then his best friend Stuart Sutcliffe the original bass player that played with them in Hamburg he died and then Jeez. John's mother no in between John's mother died so and then even when they were famous you know his friend and the person who changed their life Brian Epstein died in 92 and he yeah. just had this you know all these really important people in his life he kept losing them and it's like you know yeah it, it, no, you know, I, some of that creativity and the, you know, particularly the anger of, of some of the stuff of, you know, say Plastic Ono Band, you know, the mother song and all the rest of it. And, yeah, yeah. And then he, he just needed to go there. And, and eventually he starts attacking McCartney after the Beatles in songs like How Do You Sleep? But it's all it's all coming from a very, very dark, negative place. And it yeah. seems that your podcast is kind of, it's finding that. In so many, I mean, how many episodes have you done now? It's not a lot just yet, is it? 
No, no, it's a pretty new podcast. You know, we might keep doing it. People, <laughs> no, if it's but, exciting reaction like this, I mean, you know, we'll keep yeah, doing it. it's but yeah. it is a, it is a real thing, and I don't know of any other podcasts that, yeah. have, that, that have gone that have said right. Well, we're go- there is a darkness in the people who are super creative and we're going to go there and we're going to talk about it and we're going to find out more about it. So it is a really fascinating thing. I'm glad that you appreciate that. It's, it's, it's a funny thing. I mean, we did, you know, uh, there was a great episode that Brad did, um, junior Kimbrough, who is a, like a famous blues artist from the South, uh, who, he had like 40 kids by different women, just totally just out of control, you yeah. know, and we, we but, uh, but amazing. Like yeah. he sounds like massive attack wishes they could sound. And I love massive attack. Yeah. But he's like, he was, he was like blues, like 40, 50 years ahead of the blues. Yeah. Junior Kimber. So yeah. for me, I, you know, it's fun. I, I want to, I don't know. I think that we might be losing artists to bourgeois sensibility. How right do you now. mean? I mean that I think we might be losing artists. <laughs> are, to- are, you, are you saying are you saying that because the media would attack some of the negative sides or of a person's character and and would kind of squash them down before totally. they get a chance to you're bloom? Just, Is that you're, what you're, you're saying? Done. Like I think it's like it's like okay, boomer. Uh, you know, you're just stuck in this rut of politeness art is not polite like it's 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 dark it's weird it's like you you know i mean and and i i live in a country that that will bankrupt you over a medical bill so yeah i mean you know we're not you know it's not a serious place so we're we're you know and everyone's like oh it's so difficult to uh you know whatever it's it, it you know I, that's a, that's a lot to unpack the, the the bottom line is like we we absolutely have to support young artists in all their weirdness and all their freakiness or else we're like we're going to lose a generation of of artists and we can't afford it we can't afford that yeah that that's sort of my take on this i mean you know it's nobody's asked me before but i mean like that's kind of where i'm at it's like we we absolutely have to secure the future of the arts and it's not it's not going to happen out of the university <laughs> like that that it's just the rot has set in over there that's no well, good well they are and it's happening here as well where if somebody speaks about something that people don't agree with they don't get booked or they get stopped or they get canceled don't they and that's it's, that seems like the kind of opposite of what universities should be shouldn't they be places where you're exposed to extreme ideas and that yeah. kind of helps. Otherwise, if you're not, there are certain manipulative people who will sell you an ism as the answer to all your problems. And unless you've yeah. talked through that ism and you know the harm that that ism can cause, because all isms have a down, downside, there is no silver bullet. The whole, the truth is that it's a, it's a, it's an amalgamation of all different things. You can't be, you know, you can't be completely all the way left or all the way to the right politically. There has to be some blend of the two, you know, otherwise things just aren't going to work. Yeah. And, and people are sold isms as the answer. But if you haven't at, at a formative stage in your life, you haven't had people speak to you who you don't agree with, because there might be something in there that's a nugget that might actually make sense to you. 
It's called the university. It's supposed to be the <laughs> universe, university, everyone comes. And yeah. now we have like 90%, you know, yeah. of one side is like spitting. And, uh, you know, it's so then, So then is there a danger in modern society? And is this maybe where you're going? Is that if we try to remove as much darkness from people's lives that we will lose the creativity that the darkness breeds. My man. <laughs> is, is, that yeah. what, is that what the art well, of darkness kind of, the, 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 the underlying message of the podcast is? There's no, you know, there's no underlying message. I mean, the well, often there is, you know, often people go, oh, oh you know, there's anything. This is the, <laughs> the English. Right. I knew, I knew we were, <laughs> I knew we were going to go here. No, there's okay. no underlying message. The underlying message of this podcast is, <laughs> is that, is that Brad and I want to talk about dead creatives and try to figure out how they got, how they achieved what they did so that we are still talking about them. Right. That is the, that's the message. Yeah. So, okay. because, because a hundred years from now, I would like, personally, I would like to have left something that people will still talk about 100 years from now. See, that, there's, there's your underlying agenda right there. Well, you know, I mean, maybe it's maybe a little narcissistic, but I mean, yeah. you know. Yeah, well, you have, you have to have that. And did you have, a, did you have a background in broadcasting or anything before you started the podcast? Oh, uh, not really. No. I mean, you know, it's, it's like anybody can be a podcaster now. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, but not anybody can be a good podcaster. Well, thank you. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't know it, has to, I mean, it has to be something that actually reaches you in some way. The podcast itself is art. Yeah. Oh, for sure. We're very, we're lucky that we found this little niche thing that we're happy about. Like, it's, it's funny. You know, again, anybody can, can think they're a podcaster, but I mean, you know. We, we want this to be my favorite thing about this, which I talk with, you know, with Brad about sometimes is um, we would do this if nobody listened. Yeah. And that's kind of fun because maybe nobody will. Yeah. Well, I, I know from personal experience that every radio presenter I have worked with, and I've also been a program director at a number of stations, but every, every single radio presenter I have worked with has a dirty little secret, which is they would do this for nothing. <laughs> My man, and, I and, love that. And you know what? For a lot of them, it came yeah. true. <laughs> they're, they're not, they've been kicked out nice. of the industry and they're doing a podcast. More from Kevin Kautzman and the Art of Darkness soon. The Pod 20 is heard on podcast radio on DAB in London, the home counties, Manchester, Birmingham and Glasgow, on demand in the USA at talkers.com, around the world on multiple platforms and as a podcast itself. Let's get into the chart now. At number 20, You're Dead to Me, the history podcast for people who don't like history. At 19, Happy Place. Fern Cotton talks to incredible people about life, love, loss and everything in between. Fern's latest guest is Mike Kerr from the band Royal Blood. At 18, The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition from Comedy Central's Podcast Network. 
17. Anatomy of murder. A murder case has many layers. The victim, the crime, and investigation. To truly understand it, you need to dissect each piece of a tragic puzzle. 16. Law. Dark historical tales of mysterious creatures, tragic events, and unusual places that fill the pages of history. Because sometimes, the truth is more frightening than fiction. 15. That Peter Crouch Podcast. Peter Crouch, Tom Fordyce and Chris Dark bring you their guide to being a professional footballer. 14. Humorology with Paul Barros. Paul, you're a psychologist. Jerry Seinfeld used to do a bit where he said our number one fear is public speaking and that death is number two. Which means that at a funeral, the person giving the eulogy would rather be in the coffin. Is that true? It's true, except death is number six. Well, why is public speaking such a frightening thing for us? Because it is, you know, I, I've done it, well, but it's not, it's always best when it's gone well, it's fantastic, but you always do worry going into it. It is, it is quite a, it is quite a fearful thing. Why are we scared of it? Well, it's a very interesting thing. I, 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 I have no idea because I love it so much. So what it is, I think, is the belief system. Remember that um, babies are only born with two fears. It's fear of falling and fear of loud noises. Every other fear is made up. So or, fear or of learned? humiliation. Right. Or learned or right. learned behavior. That's uh, absolutely right. So the fact is that... Um, we have learnt a, a thing. Some people have been brought up saying, don't put your head above the parapet. When you work in, in the Scandinavian countries, as I do a lot, they, they, they say, oh, you know, we don't want to be seen as people putting up. But the best people in the world at um, standing up and talking are the Americans. Yeah. And, yeah. and I have a theory that the reason the Americans are so good at it is because they are encouraged and all brought up from very young ages to do it because they all do show and tell. And so they are made to, from a very young age, go, you know, uh, this is uh, a pen and, and the pens can help us write and do the, the thing. This is some sellotape, you know, what, uh, and what sellotape is useful for is doing that. So it's a muscle. By the way, I'm brought in a lot to help um, CEOs and people who are having trouble um, or needs focus uh, on big set piece speeches. And I'm amazed that people who have got to the very top of industry are still terrified of set piece public speaking now there are some who do it brilliantly and but others it's it's still a big big sort of fear factor i mean i think everybody should have a little bit of fear yeah but one of the things about being a psychologist is how you control that fear before i before i go on i like to have between 7 and 10 seconds of that adrenaline rush of here we go, yeah, which I'm sure you do on yeah. a, on on a, on a broadcast as well, yeah. 
but you've managed, I presume, to control it. You don't have it like three days beforehand, do no, you? No, and, and if it's too much, it's crippling and it ruins your performance anyway. You've got to be, particularly for radio, which is a very one-to-one -one medium, you've got to be relaxed so that the listener thinks they're hanging out with a friend. If, if they can smell fear through the speaker, you know, they know. They, and if, you, if, you're, if you're not relaxed and you're uncomfortable, then that kind of, it doesn't work. You've got, you've got to just work it out. You've got to be comfortable in the environment. But when you've been in a lot of radio studios and as soon as you walk in and you feel that the, de the dead sound and you see the microphone and the mixing desk and you're suddenly at home. So that's what happens with radio for me anyway. Well, you've just made uh, a fantastic uh, point about how you deal with it because you're anchoring yourself into the studio and so you feel comfortable in the studio. But you said something earlier on, which is very profound, which is in psychology, we say if you want anybody to go into any state, you have to go into that state first. So it's a very symbiotic process between you and the audience. So, uh, by the way, if I want to make the audience nervous, all I have to do is be nervous and go, um, yeah. look, I'm really uh, sorry to be here and uh, waste your time. Um, but uh, And then what happens? You remember... How's it? What's it like for you and and for our whole audience thinking about this? Think of a time when you've been in the audience, and the person on stage has been awkward or embarrassed. What yeah. happens to you? Well, you become you uncomfortable go into for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. and you, but not only for them, you become uncomfortable with. Them yeah, it's as well. not a pleasant experience. You're right. Yeah, you do become awkward and you want to get out of there. <laughs> so, yeah. so the number one tip really is to remember that if you want the audience to go into that state, you have to be in the relaxed state. The best presenters in the world, the, the Obama's of this world, Barack Obama, what does he look like when he walks on? He just looks completely like I've at, got at this. home. Yeah. Yeah. At home. Yeah. You're, you've walked in it to his home. And that's what you're aiming to do because that's how you make the audience comfortable. And for all those years of working at the comedy store and doing television and everything, the best people in the world, and I've done a lot of radio, uh, uh, not as much as you, obviously, but uh, the best in the world were always the ones who seemed most relaxed, who yeah. seemed, I've got this, nothing's going to throw me. We're good. Yeah. And that's what you have in spades, Graham, to be honest with you. Well, I, was, I used to read, um, when I first got into radio, there was a guy called Tony James in Australia, program director. He was the first guy that gave me a, a, a shot. And he, he died a couple of days ago, Tony, and I've been thinking about him a lot. Sorry. And he put me onto a guy called Jay Trackman, who was a... Uh, in Fresno, California, he was a radio consultant and he had a, a publication called One to One, which he used to print out, I think, in his garage. And he used to send it out around the world. I was living in Australia at the time and I used to read his One to One. And although he wasn't a psychologist, he talked a lot about the One to One power of radio. And what he said was, when you're on the air, you should, like a method actor, would find, you know, a place to go for, you know, you know, if they're, if they're 
protect if they're acting that they're scared they have to think of something that scares them to come across that way on the screen screen acting in particular the Strasbourg and Stratoslansky or whatever it was techniques and all that he said for radio though he said you just should imagine that you're talking to someone who you know a real person who actually likes you for who you are not what you say someone who you have a very close relationship with like a wife or a mother or someone like that or a best friend and if you imagine you're talking to them you'll automatically use tones in your voice and the way you breathe and structure sentences you won't have to worry about how you sound you will sound like you're talking to them and the listener will pick up on that and think that you too you and the listener have a very close relationship because you always talk to them as if they are as if a, that's how a friend talks to me that's not how a radio announcer talks to me that's how a friend talks to me and the listener will be fooled into thinking there is a relationship and you'll bond with them you'll get more time spent listening and your ratings will go up and uh, that happened very early on for me and i read a lot of that stuff and i'm supposed that is psychology isn't it real psychology practical psychology which right. is uh, the main thing. And there's a very similar, funny enough, uh, very similar to, it's a brilliant thought process for anybody in radio. They should clip that and play it back <laughs> to themselves constantly. Um, but as in speaking, when I train people to speak or I, I speak, I always walk on and I tell people, I walk on assuming that everyone in the room is lovely. Because what's the alternative? And, and the alternative is to walk on and go, well, I bet there's some right gits out there. But because it changes your own psyche and your own psychology. And uh, I was working in Germany once and I told the story. I said, I always walk on assuming everyone is lovely. And a German man put up his hand and went, this is not true. And I went, so, so it's, it, it, it's a concept, sir. It's in your head. That's, it goes, no, but it's not true. Not everybody is lovely. About 10% of people, horrible. And so I explained to him that it's a concept that you, you go through just because what it does is it changes the structure of your face and it changes the, the way your attitude and the way you're perceived. And we talked for about five minutes from the stage. And then he put his hand up again. He goes, okay. I go with you most of the way. And I went, most of the way? He went, yes, most of the way. He said, from now on, I will walk on stage and presume that 99% of people are lovely. And I went, that, that's crazy. I said, that means that if you are in a room full of a thousand people, your unconscious mind is going to be going, where's the bastard? You know, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, uh, please excuse my French. You can bleep <laughs> that. Um, but, but that's the way we are. And the advice you got and, and what you embody now is so true. It's your attitude, as the Americans say, dictates your altitude, how high you will go. And if you've got an attitude whereby you don't really like the audience, but you're, you're putting up with it, you know, that that's probably what happens to some radio DJs is they got cynical yeah. and they went through the motions and the audience starts to hear that. 
They do. That cynicism. Yeah, they yeah. pick up on it. Well, of course they do, because we, as human beings, and we are naturally picking up signals all the time. Remember that we all grew up as babies looking at the faces of our parents or grandparents. And so we were learning how the, a pleasant face looked. There is a wonderful um, uh, social science study which shows uh, showed babies once their eyes had cleared the smiley face, you know, the yellow smiley face with the yeah. two dots and the, uh, the smile. It would show babies the smiley face once their eyes had cleared. And they found out that all babies smiled when they saw this flat representation <laughs> of just two dots and uh, a curve. And so they actually did the opposite of it, and they did the um, sad face as well, two dots and the sad face, showed, and babies cried. So actually they worked out that we are all hardwired before birth in our systems to recognise pleasant faces and pleasant people. So there is a whole sort of psychological, neurological sort of basis for this. But if thinking something nice about somebody has a huge effect on how you are perceived. So you're, these are the bits you control. And that's what fascinates me about it's funny, my It's field. funny you should say that because when I first got into radio, you, you know, you don't think about it, but when you get into radio, the radio station wants to take your picture to put on the, the side, well, uh, to start off with on little cards or to put your picture up in the radio station. But I've also had my, I'm not bragging, but I have my, well, well, why not? I'm bragging. I have my face on the side of buses in Bournemouth and in Birmingham and all the rest of it. When they take those pictures, you think, well, what face do I pull to the camera? Because you've got to do it straight to the camera. <laughs> but what I actually do is I look at the camera as if I'm looking at my wife. I always just go, so there's a particular face I pull on all those pictures, but I actually look okay because of that. <laughs> but, 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 but is it that that is, the, that is pure psychology? That is like, you, you want to be seen as pleasant. Yeah. yeah, I think that's that's that that's the mistake most people make, and that's why where humorology comes in. It's about humanizing people so that they can actually connect, and everybody wants to connect. I mean, I've had some extraordinary guests on the Humorology podcast, and you know, I've had billionaires like David McCourt. You know, I've had sports stars like Scott Quinnell. I've had you know big um, executive producers like James. Longman, Clive Bull from LBC, who yeah. you know, Clive, yeah. uh, everything, John Sweeney from the BBC, Ebony Rainford Brent, Alistair McGowan. There is not one of these people who doesn't recognize what you would say that actually the art and science of having good humor is crucial to their success of connecting. And we're human beings. What we want to do is connect with other human beings. And, and the biggest bonding thing you can do is, is find someone humorous, 
find yeah. someone that that you connect with and what you just described there that you are doing the connection of love yeah love bonding and so they go that guy on the side of the bus actually looks like he is warm and pleasant and this is what people should do when they go on stage when they go for interviews it's I, and this is you know I've written several books about this. It's your attitude inside your head changes how other people feel about you, and people are so closed internally and go you know if you'd have gone uh, what's my strong looking face <laughs> for the side of the bus yeah you know you'd have or my uh, funny uh, face or whatever yeah but no i just yeah. I always 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 just whenever i get my photograph taken i do that i also i'm not even that i'm not that tall i also stand on tiptoes if i'm stand, having to stand next to a tall pop star or something i always stand on tiptoes yeah. as well I, i'm not that tall either <laughs> i i actually move forward oh that's a good tip i'm stealing that Humorology with Paul Barros is at number 14 this week on the Pod 20. At 13, On Purpose with Jay Shetty. Fascinating conversations with the most insightful people in the world. Jay's latest guest is a retired Navy SEAL, Jocko Willink. Number 12, Counterclock. To tell the story of a crime, you have to turn back time. This podcast digs deep into mind-bending mysteries and hopes to reignite interest in decades-old homicide cases. At 11, Russell Kane's Man Baggage. Russell and his celebrity panel unpack the emotional baggage that men spend their lives avoiding. Number 10, Revisionist History. Malcolm Gladwell's journey through the overlooked and misunderstood. At nine, Monday Morning Podcast, Bill Burr rants about relationships, sport, and the Illuminati. At number eight, The Art of Darkness, a podcast about the dark side of artists, creatives, intellectuals, and people who've made history and continue to move culture. Kevin Kautzman is one of the presenters. Each episode features a different creative person. Do you have a favorite? I really, I, I really did have a lot of fun doing Kubrick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, we're trying to do these, you know, evergreen episodes and I accidentally did three hours on Stanley Kubrick, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, whoops. Yeah. yeah. I didn't mean to just 10 days of complete immersion in a clockwork orange. And, you know, it's one of these moments where you go, you know, I didn't realize that this guy, this artist, had influenced me this much. Super yeah. important to me. Yeah. Um, you know, 2001. And, um, you know, when I, when I was living in New York City, one of my friends, this this old timer, um, I think a little, you know, maybe a little older than you, um, not to be weird, but I mean, you know, <laughs> this old timer in Manhattan, you know, we would hang out at the, this bar that I would that I would go to and his name's Lewis. He's from like from Ohio, but from New York. It's a whole thing. He he worked with Kubrick. He worked on practical practical effects in the industry. He worked on Rosemary's Baby. He worked on where they they throw the um like the the maid out the window and she splats on the Volkswagen down below. He worked. Oh, because that. that was Roman Polanski, wasn't it? That one. Yeah. So he worked with he worked with another freaky 
He worked, yeah, he worked God. with all the freaks. So he yeah. worked with Polanski and then, yeah, and then he worked with Kubrick and he hated Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> <laughs> I would like, we would chat about it. I hated that guy. Eight in the morning, he would call it. He would talk for two hours. They were working on the models for 2001. The yeah. little spaceship models. Yeah. He hated. And I have no uh, reason to, you know, discredit, discredit this guy. Like he was the real deal. So funny. But I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that episode. Like, I think, you know, I think I did a, an okay job. Yeah. What have you got <laughs> planned for future episodes? Well, Virginia, Virginia Wolf is uh, tomorrow. Which okay. Is that's it's live tomorrow. Yeah. Well, yeah, it'll go online tomorrow. We don't, I don't do live. They're all dead. Well, no, what I meant, what I meant was it goes live. It's there so you can get it. That's no, no, no. That's what I meant. It is. Yeah. It is live, Graham. I'm just giving you a hard time, man. Yeah, you're allowed to. And what yeah, podcast? No, no, no. It's, no, I'm really excited about it. It's it, that one is that one is weird. Like Virginia Wolf. It's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know that much about it. I know about the suicide, but I don't really know that much about Virginia Woolf. Hmm. Yeah. I want to, what I want to do right now is pick your brain about the Beatles. Go on then. A little bit. Well, actually, yeah. funnily enough, you just, you, we, there was another Beatles connection in there. The film Rosemary's Baby was actually shot in the apartment where Lennon lived in New York. The Dakota, the Dakota building. It was the actual apartment the he ended up going to. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Wait, well, wait, that it was the actual It was apartment, the actual apartment because like, it was before he lived there. He moved are you there. Kidding me? No, it's the act Rosemary's baby is shot in the apartment that him and Yoko that Yoko still lives in, as far as I know. It's the the one where he lived in up until he died. Yeah, they moved in in yeah. Yeah. was it 71, 72? Is where because they they originally went and lived in Greenwich Village, but they moved there in either se late seventy one or or early seventy two, and the movie was made before that. So maybe maybe the apartment was empty, and that's how it got to be a movie set. I don't know. Rocky Raccoon. What about know. yeah, Rocky Raccoon from the White Album? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only yeah, to yeah. find Gideon's Bible. Only to find Gideon's Bible. Yeah. What What is that about? Like, I, I, I've been, I, I like all the conspiracy theory stuff about the Beatles. Like, what, what? Paul is dead. Is John, those, what? The Paul is dead conspiracy. You like that? Those, yeah. The death clues. It's like the original conspiracy. Yeah. Why? What, what is it? What, what, what is it about Rocky Raccoon? I don't know. It's just a novelty no, it, song. It, it's like, what's it, Yellow you know, Gideon's Bible. And then it's like, it's a uh, shot. He was shot dead. Da, da, da. There's a whole thing about Dakota in Rocky Raccoon. You know no, that? is there? I never heard that. What's this? Yo, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, dude. Okay. Rocky Raccoon. Daniel was hot. He drew first and shot. And Rocky collapsed yeah. in the corner. That that part of that. Well, you're getting the lyrics Let's up there hear. now. Okay. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm to whip them up. Okay. Rocky Raccoon Somewhere in the Down Mountain Hills of Dakota, there lived a young boy named Rocky Raccoon. There you go. Yeah. One day a woman ran off with yeah, another man. Exactly. Oh, the yeah. black. Oh, you know what? I never made that connection. Oh, they killed I, John. Until now. Wow. Until no. now. <laughs> oh, that's just the a coincidence. Black Hills of Dakota, though. baby. No. It's South Dakota. Yeah. Wow. Oh. oh. <laughs> I don't know wow. what to tell you. I don't know. My favorite, my favorite piece of Beatles uh, trivia is one I discovered, and it's really pretty lame. Actually, it's not even that deep. It's just that 
the traditional way to explain the names of the band is John, Paul, George, and Ringo in that order. Yeah. But there's only one album where they are pictured in that order, left to right. Only oh, one. No. None of the others. Only one. It's not one. Let It Be, is it? No. It's, is it Pepper? No. There's only know. one Let's album has, a fo- has photographs in that order. They're actually individual photographs. I'm freaking out. You'd think there'd be one, wouldn't you? Would it be Revolver? No. What? No. Left to okay. right, John Paul George and Ringo. Okay. All right. Okay. You've got to tell me or else I'm going to yeah. like, this, is, this hurts. You won't get it because it's the White Album. What? When you open the gatefold, there are four pictures and they are John Paul George and Ringo. It's the only album that has them oh in that God. order. None of the other albums, well, even when they're on the cover, any of the photos on the back, only the white album. My, my whole brain is on fire. <laughs> because you wouldn't think it, because you, your brain goes, there's no photo on the no. white album. It's not right. that one. And then right. you, so it actually is a good right. trivia question for me. No, you're right. That's a good one. I like that. <laughs> That's quite good. Yeah. yeah, but we're not here to talk about the Beatles. Hey, you could do though, because there's a lot of darkness in Lennon and McCartney. Even Ringo had a pretty rough upbringing and was, you know, he was sick and didn't go to school much and all the rest of it. I mean, my favorite uh, comedian um, has the, the, has made the most uh, Bill Hicks about. Okay. Yeah. Oh, the Kennedy thing he does is great. Isn't it? When he talks about the Beatles, it's the funniest thing in the world. What's what's, what's, Ringo off the ceiling. What what does Bill, I've not heard Bill Hicks bits. You haven't about heard the, Bill Hicks talk no, about the Beatles? No, the one I like is the Kennedy one, which I'll mention in a second. But what's the what's the Beatles one then? Oh, you just think you know uh, you know uh, if you don't think drugs have done anything good for us, I want you to go home and take all your albums, all your records, and all your CDs and burn them, because you know what? All the musicians who've made all the great music that you've loved throughout the years, that's enhanced your life throughout the years, real high on drugs. Yeah, we're going to, oh, there's Ringo. Ringo wants to sing a little song. <laughs> something, something about a yellow tambourine. <laughs> my, Ringo, what are my, you doing there on the ceiling, mate? You know. My favorite Bill Hicks bit, and I was lucky enough to have this happen in the, the right sequence, is uh, 10 years ago, maybe 15, I went to a radio convention in Dallas, and I had time to kill on Dallas, the last- Texas? Yeah. So I had had time to kill on the last day. So I got in a taxi and I said, take me to Dealey Plaza. I want to see where Kennedy was shot. So I went there and on the sixth floor of the Texas Book Depository Building, there is now a museum called the Assassination Museum. And you can go close to the window where, you know, Oswald was. Anyway, so then after I'd been there and seen it, and and by the way, you can't look out of the window where he was supposed to be, and I'll yeah, tell you yeah, why yeah, that yeah, wasn't. So you can look obvious. out. You can look out yeah. of the next window, and right, you can right. see that the car would have dro- been driving right at that window, and then it made the turn into Elm Street. If he really was going to shoot him from there, why did he wait and make the shot when the car was way down the road there? Why right, didn't he right, shoot? Right, right. Uh, anyway, yeah, yeah, and. 
then after I'd been there and seen it, then I watched a YouTube clip of Bill Hicks and he does this great bit. He says that it's now a museum called the Assassination Museum. And in the corner, there is a thing and they've done it. They've piled up like cardboard boxes and they've got a rifle on a tripod and it's called the Sniper's Nest. And it's off. It's glassed off this corner. And they have. And Bill Hicks mentions this and he goes yeah, yeah, yeah. and he goes and it's exactly the same as it was in 1963 right down to Oswald not being there. Oswald's not there! <laughs> Back to the chart now. And at number seven, Hidden Brain. Science and storytelling reveals the unconscious patterns that drive human behavior, shape our choices, and direct our relationships. Number six, Conan O'Brien needs a friend. After 25 years at the late night desk, Conan has never made a real and lasting friendship with any of his celebrity guests. So he started a podcast to fix that. One of his latest guests is the former US president, Barack Obama. Into the top five now, and at number five, Shagged Married Annoyed. The only way Rosie and Chris Ramsey can have a conversation without being interrupted by a toddler or ending up staring at their phones is by doing a podcast. At four, my dad wrote a porno. Jamie Morton reads a chapter each episode and discovers more about his father than he ever bargained for. At three, off menu with Ed Gamble and James Acaster. Ed and James invite special guests into their magical restaurant to choose their favourite starter, main course, side dish, dessert and drink. Number two, Rob Beckett and Josh Widdicombe's Lockdown Parenting Hell. It's parenting, just not as you know it. And straight in at number one. Dark History. Bailey Sarion explores the chilling stories of the dark past from world history that they don't teach you in school. That's it for episode 58 of the Pod 20. Thanks to this week's guest pod stars, Kevin Kautzman and Paul Barros. Next week, my guests include the builder-turned-broadcaster, Andy Stevens from the podcast Build It. Andy, you were the vice president of the London region of the Federation of Master Builders. You were on the board there for nearly a decade. You resigned not that long ago. What was that all about? It was disappointing. There was, um, you know, that's been going for, I think, 80 years now. Um, there's a lot of people that have been there 40, 50 years and stuff was never going to change. The, the sad thing for the for the FMB is in its heyday, 36,000 members and it's, I think, under seven now. Right. You know, there's obviously concerns with numbers dropping that much. Yeah. Is it going to be around much longer? Because, you know, that's not big numbers, is it? When, when you look at Checker Trade, very different setup, but they've got, what, 37, 38,000? Um, yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of change. And also, I, I, I believe people that write apprenticeships need to be on the tools or had experience on the tools. Right. People that have never that's picked up happening. a trowel. People are writing yeah. apprenticeships that have not been on the tools. That's not happening, Office-based office-based wow wow it's right. a bit like me writing an apprenticeship on architecture <laughs> yeah yeah and what is it you're doing with trevor mangan he's a good bloke uh he's a painter and decorator him and his son they do a great podcast as well two decorators and a microphone and what are you doing with him he said he was doing some stuff with you 
Is he having me on or are you doing yeah. stuff with him? A <laughs> L- lot of time for Trev. A yeah, lot of time know. for Trev. Obviously, him and another guy called Wayne were one of the first two to join the Dulux Select Decorators 25 years ago. They were both in the TV ad. Um, okay. So very long-standing guys, very experienced and very obviously good. Um, so Trev and I have done a little bit of filming together. We've done a couple of um, – I sort of call them corporate videos, but I don't know what you call them these days – social media promotions or something mm-hmm. um but we're in talks of of doing our own show because um, we've got a lot of interest from sponsors um again there's not many trades people that can string a sentence together the ones that can don't necessarily want to be in front of a camera because they might have worked with pound notes all their life and don't want tax man after them so yeah i think with with our experience together we've got jesus i was trying to work it out you know 50 60 years experience um and there's a lot of things that we want to put across and discuss like apprenticeships and van and tool theft and mental health problems and changing perception and tax issues. Um, and yeah, I think we're, we're in talks at the moment of producing a new series. So um, we work well together, actually. We've talked about, you know, the perception of builders quite a bit. And I think the media has a lot to answer for. Because I do think, you know, tradespeople are victims of the class system in Britain, which is alive yeah. and well. And there were, a while ago, I forget the name of it, but there was a TV show where a couple of comedy writers and actors dressed up as builders and, and made builders look pretty stupid. And, and I got a bit of stick because I said, that's the equivalent of blackface, mm. but for builders. Mm. Where, you know, I, if I go back to, you know when I was growing up like early eighties, you know, even shows that were about working class people like Alfita Zane Pet or Brilliant. or Boys from the Black Stuff, those yeah. shows, the tradespeople were respected. They were good tradespeople. And anyone who wasn't was not was not cool. But, you know, lately there's been things where, you know, builders have been shown to be idiots apart from i think the only one i can think of if i'm going right back is o'reilly the builder in uh, fawzi towers uh, but, but but usually if there was a show about working class people it was done with respect and uh, that just seems to have gone recently do you agree or am i being oversensitive there so it's a class thing yeah. you know we've got a big problem with class in this country and always have had no, back to Australia, I remember walking to – I was doing door work and bar work um, in the evenings on some some weeks to top up the pennies. And um, I was walking uh, down George Street and walked past Commonwealth Bank. Mm-hmm. And Which is the biggest bank in Australia. Something stuck in my mind forever. Is what? There was there's something stuck in my mind forever. There was a bin lorry that rocked up. Yeah. They had all the commercial waste, so quite a few bins, and a few lads jumped out. And these suits, very – older guys, so you're talking probably board level or very senior management, came down and I had to stop because they're like, all right, mate, how are you? Well, we got the footy on this weekend. And I thought they had a 15-minute conversation about the footy. Yeah. You would never have that in this country. And it, they, yeah. they, it was so – I found it, you know, fascinating to listen to. But, yeah, you're right. We're, we're not – you know, we're all human beings. And I think the problem is is – it's easier to say cowboy builders or, 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 you know, rogue tradesmen or whatever it is. But, you know, I started filming for Channel 4 um, a few years ago, and it was about these this, these people doing up the houses. And all the numbers are made up as well. It doesn't help us. 
oh, we just done a house up for three thousand pounds. Well, that covers your border. And and you just think, you know, it, it's it's. I think if I've always said, if we had a good series promoting craftsmanship, people in yeah. need that needed work, an elderly person or someone that was ill, you know, yeah. maybe look at charity projects yeah. and people that go in and do amazing work, and you think, how have you just built that? Well, I've yeah. done it in my life. Yeah. Um, and um, actually look at the realities of stripping a house back and what you're going to find. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not straightforward. It's not a new build. But you're doing a lot of that in the podcast, in Build It, your podcast. You are, you know, changing that and showing what goes into it because your podcast isn't just for builders. By no means. No. It's got a very broad appeal. And and I just want to mention that anyone's thinking, oh, you know, this is a podcast for builders. It's really not. It's about... No. You know, it's about life and, and the future and where Britain's headed and where we've come from and the whole thing. We, did you sit down and map that all out or was that a natural thing when you started deciding on, on the podcast and how it was going to be shaped? Twofold. So I spent about three, three and a half years wanting to do it and I've been looking and looking and looking and bizarrely, there isn't a podcast like this in the world. You've got right. a lot of architects, a lot of decorators. You've got a lot of uh, technology companies working into construction with brilliant podcasts, but it looks at that niche. And I thought, hang on, what it, in my eyes, a podcast from a fundamentally a builder, tradesperson, which is what I am, but looking at every aspect of construction, if it's apprenticeships, um, if it's architecture, um, I had Charlie Mullins on from Pimlico Plumbers, the first show talking about, um, obviously, you know, the issues we're getting people into the industry. Um, you know, I did a, my favorite one so far was talking to a timber merchant. He's been doing it 40 odd years. And it was why the price of timber is going up so much and why it's going to carry on getting worse. Um, and the, the, it's one of the reasons, it's not Brexit, nothing to do with Brexit. But one of the reasons is when you've got a tree, you've got a certain amount of carcassing you'll get. So four per two, six per two. But there's a lot of the tree you won't get. And I wonder what happened to it. And it goes to pulp. So that could be sheets of OSB or chipboard, which we still need. But the majority of it went to paper. Mm. Now, what have we been doing for the last year, working from home? Everyone wants to go environmentally friendly and not use paper, paperless, this, that, and the other. So the trees are now being left to grow more to get more carcassing. So it's more profitable per tree. So because of that, we got a shortage of timber. Wow. And wow. Mr. Trump, before he went, said, we need timber, build, 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 I can categorically tell you that all the ships coming from the Baltic states and Scandinavia, which where a lot of the timber comes from, they were being told, right, turn, right, go to the States. He's offering way more money. Right. So giving advice through the eyes of everybody, it could be a first-time developer, someone coming into the industry, a supplier, um, a charity. And, I, yeah, it's. I then looked at what I thought would work. So I did have a funny one. I did which is the most skillful trade. So I sat down with a joiner and we had a bit of a giggle. Um, but bizarrely, that wasn't one of the most listened to. Which it's was the, the most listened to? The, the funny jokey one, which I thought was would be it? quite good. I think it just shows that not many through and through trades listen to podcasts in Britain yet. Yeah. But informative ones such as what's happening with timber, you know, they've got a loft conversion, quite a lot of wood in there. So yeah. if you're a client and you're about to spend 40 grand on a loft, yeah. you want to get that in now because you could end up that doubling in a few months. Oh, that's going to so keep it, going up then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So get that while you can afford it, eh? Andy Stevens will be back next week on The Pod 20. If you'd like to watch extended video chats with my guests, check them out on YouTube. 
and subscribe to my YouTube channel. What will happen on the podcast radio chart next week? Will dark history still be at the top? Will your favourite podcast be at number one? Find out with me, Graham Mack, and influence the chart. Make a recommendation at thepodcastradio.co.uk. Faith in the news media has been challenged, making it even harder to get stories told. The Friday Reporter podcast was created to help audiences better understand the media by hosting journalists who will answer the questions to which we need answers. Join me every Friday to hear more.